Today, we continue our journey through the Gospel of Mark, turning to the sixth chapter, verses 1 through 13. Before we hear God's word read and proclaimed, let us join our hearts and minds together in prayer. Let us pray. Holy and gracious God, we are hungry. Hungry for your word, which nourishes us like no other food can. We pray that you would feed us today, that we might be content with what you have to offer. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Hear this reading from Mark 6, verses 1 through 13. He, Jesus, left that place and came to his hometown, and his disciples followed him. On the Sabbath, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were astounded. They said, Where did this man get all this? What is this wisdom that has been given to him? What deeds of power are being done by his hands? Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary? and brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon? And are not his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. Then Jesus said to them, Prophets are not without honor except in their hometown and among their own kin and in their own house. And he could do no deed of power there except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and cured them. And he was amazed at their unbelief. Then he went about among the villages teaching. He called the twelve and began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over the unclean spirits. He ordered them to take nothing for their journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in their belts, but to wear sandals and not to put on two tunics. He said to them, Wherever you enter a house, stay there until you leave the place. If any place will not welcome you and they refuse to hear you, as you leave, shake off the dust that is on your feet as a testimony against them. So they went out and proclaimed that all should repent. They cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and cured them. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. There is a tiny coffee shop in San Francisco that was opened by a woman named Giulietta Corelli. There are only four items on the menu, coffee, whole coconuts, grapefruit juice, and cinnamon toast. The name of the shop is Trouble. The coffee shop was named Trouble because Julietta had known more than her fair share. As a teenager in Cleveland, she began suffering from schizoaffective disorder. She struggled to hold a job, get a degree, or settle down in one place. She left home and lived in nine different cities before she was 30, wrestling with substance abuse and homelessness. During that time, she often subsisted on a diet of whole coconuts and grapefruit juice. Julietta finally gained some stability when she met Glenn, an elderly man who came to the same stretch of San Francisco Beach every day. She began to visit him daily, and their friendship helped her create other areas of continuity in her life. 
She swam every day when she came to the beach. She made friends who looked out for her. She found a job in a coffee shop and kept it for three years, but still she struggled to find stable housing. She was in and out of apartments and often slept in her car. One morning, her boss arrived at the coffee shop to discover that she had slept there the night before. Instead of firing her, he told her it was time for her to open her own shop. So with help from friends in the form of advice, money, and labor, Julietta opened a coffee shop and called it Trouble. Each item on the menu means something to Julietta. Coffee is what she's good at after years working in coffee shops, and it brings people together for connection and conversation. Coconuts and grapefruit juice represent survival for the years she lived on them, and cinnamon toast is the ultimate comfort food from her childhood. Trouble Coffee is a tiny space, and this is not by accident. Corelli calls her little shop with its limited menu a sociological experiment in engineering spontaneous connection between strangers. It has deliberately been set up to create such encounters. There's hardly any seating even before the pandemic, so customers couldn't divide up into pairs or trios or disappear behind their laptops. As a result, people who come to Trouble Coffee end up interacting with one another friends and strangers alike, and more often than, than not, they end up getting to know each other and supporting each other's endeavors, just as the people who rallied around Julieta helped her build Trouble Coffee. In the manifesto she posted on the Trouble Coffee website, Julieta writes, Drink a cup of trouble, eat a coconut, and learn to build your own house. We will help. If you come to worship these days, chances are you know something about trouble. Maybe not the kind of trouble that Giulietta Corelli knew. Maybe not the kind of trouble Jesus encountered in his hometown, but some kind of trouble. At the very least, some awareness that things in this world and in your life are not the way they are supposed to be. Maybe the trouble you have seen has taught you that life is more than just the accumulation of wealth and titles and material things. Maybe it's taught you that relationships don't follow the plot lines of fairy tales. Maybe it's taught you that addiction is all too easy to fall into and hard to escape. That what we present on the outside rarely matches what's on the inside. Maybe the trouble you've seen has taught you there is no rhyme or reason to suffering or to joy. We all have trouble. There may have been a time when the church was the primary place people brought their troubles, but now there are countless places people can go. The Peloton class that for many is a spiritual experience the therapist who teaches mindfulness meditation as a coping strategy, the yoga teacher who offers exercise and ancient wisdom all in an hour, the social media account where like-minded people from anywhere in the world can bond over shared interests. 
When the church's offerings are put online, alongside the countless other options for connection and conversation and meaning, it becomes clear. Much of what we have to offer is not unique. So it's worth asking, why come to worship? Why be part of a church? In one form or another, this is a question the church has been asking for a while now, but the pandemic has brought it to the fore. In my experience, people come to church, whether in person or online, because our troubles have left us hungry. We are hungry for something we can't always put into words, but it looks an awful lot like the connections and conversations that happen over coffee and coconuts and toast at a little coffee shop called Trouble. We are hungry for a place where people don't judge us by what they see on the outside. We are hungry to be known for who we really are, and not just known for it, but loved for it. We are hungry for connection, hungry for meaningful conversation, hungry for belonging, hungry to be part of something bigger than ourselves. We are hungry to pool our resources, to build our own house. Today, in Mark chapter 6, we are moving into the middle section of this gospel, and it begins with Jesus going home and getting into trouble. It seems the people there know him a little too well. They've placed him firmly in a box. He's the carpenter who works with his hands. What business does he have spouting wisdom? Not only that, but they all know he's Mary's son. Now, this wasn't just placing him in a particular family. It was identifying Jesus as illegitimate. Since in that place and time, children were identified not by who their mothers were, but who their fathers were. Mark's is the only gospel that never refers to a man named Joseph, who was Jesus' father, suggesting that Mark's Jesus bears the shame of being fatherless, which would have stripped him of status and honor. These people think they know everything they need to know about Jesus based on his history and his profession and his family, or lack thereof. They are incapable of seeing Jesus in a new light, which means they are also unable to receive the wisdom and new life he offers. It's as if in spite of their hunger for connection and conversation and belonging and for building something bigger than themselves, the people of Jesus' hometown refuse the nourishment he offers them and demand something else instead. And their suspicion and assumptions and closed-mindedness have real consequences. Jesus can't do his usual work of healing and teaching among them. Fortunately, none of this stops Jesus. If they don't want to be a part of the house he's trying to build, that's their loss. So he expresses his disappointment and then keeps on going. Jesus seems to know there is never a shortage of hungry people to feed. First, Jesus moves on to other villages, and then he gathers around him the people he has called family, 
those who have left their own families to be part of this community he's brought together. And then he empowers them to get to work, to join with him in building God's house and bringing as many people as possible inside. Months ago, when I read through the Gospel of Mark in preparation for our journey through it as a congregation, this passage in chapter 6 stopped me cold. Because it is here, a third of the way through Mark's story about this man, Jesus, who came to make God visible and tangible here on earth, just a third of the way through Mark's story. Jesus takes these new disciples and turns them into apostles. Up until this point, Jesus' followers have been referred to with the Greek word methetes, a word that means someone who follows another person for the purpose of learning from them. But having experienced rejection from the people who knew him best, Jesus decides it's time to build his own house and to engage his trusted disciples in this task Mark describes using the Greek verb apostolo, meaning to send out, the word from which we get our word apostle. Now, typically, we associate the word apostle with the book of Acts, where it is only after the disciples have witnessed Jesus' life, death, resurrection, and ascension, and only after they've received the gift of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost that they finally earn the title apostles. Mark suggests this happens way before any of that. According to Mark, these men and women who have left everything, home, family, family business, livelihood, security, certainty, to follow Jesus, are not just meant to be fed by him, to be treated like sponges who will quietly soak up Jesus' teachings for the sake of their own edification. In this text, we learn what Jesus offers us is not for ourselves alone. It is for us to share. We are fed so that we can go out and feed hungry people. With a word, Jesus turns his followers from disciples to apostles, from students into collaborators, sending them out to do the work of sharing the good news through teaching and healing. He sends them out even though they are still pretty clueless about what any of it means, even before they understand exactly who Jesus is. And Jesus makes it clear. What is true for him will be true for them as well. This work is not without hardship and sacrifice, rejection, and even danger. It is work that will bring them face to face with people who are hungry. It is work that will bring them face to face with trouble. So he tells them what to do when the nourishment they offer isn't what people want. It involves a ritual of shaking the dust off your feet when someone refuses to receive what you're offering. But really what Jesus is saying is, when trouble comes, keep going. There are always more hungry people to feed. The rejection Jesus experienced in his hometown energized him to take the next step in his ministry by turning his disciples, those who were learning from him, into apostles, those who would join with him in his work. Now, the work itself was shockingly simple. Go where the people are. 
Don't go alone. Pack light. When you get there, meet the people's hunger. Heal their hurting bodies and spirits and share the good news that God's kingdom has come near. Then invite them to join in the work of building God's house. This past year has had more than its share of trouble. It is a year in which we have experienced deep hunger for connection, conversation, belonging, and building something bigger than ourselves. It is a year that has helped us to understand what is essential in our lives and in our church. This year, we have learned that while we might have a deep emotional and even spiritual connection to the church building and the sanctuary and the people we usually encounter there, our mission and ministry is as shockingly simple as it was for the first apostles all those years ago. Like them, we are sent out to the world before we have it all figured out, before we are certain of our knowledge and abilities, before we know exactly what we are being sent out to do, even before our own troubles are resolved. We are sent out into the world God so loves, sent to encounter God's people, to ask them what troubles them and what they are hungry for, to share the nourishment of God's love and grace, and to join in the work of building God's house together. Julietta Corelli's troubles taught her that when you figure out what is essential, it's enough to stick with just those things. That's why her menu at Trouble Coffee is so simple. Coffee, coconuts, grapefruit juice, cinnamon toast. People come because they are hungry. And what they find there sustains them. Amen.